this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. Our guest this week is someone Frank and I have wanted to talk to ever since we first launched this podcast back in 2014. He's a playwright, acting teacher, a Tony-nominated and Obie-winning stage director, and one of the most prolific, versatile, and admired actors of the last six decades. You've seen his work in television shows such as Saint Elsewhere, Tales from the Crypt, Homicide Life on the Street, Frasier, Oz, Billions, The West Wing, and in dozens of popular films like Catch-22, Tess, Short Circuit, Mr. and Mrs. Briggs. Where'd you get Tess? Is he in Tess? <laughs> God, God in Tess. Go back to this part. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, ed- we'll edit that. No, this is Roman Polanski's Tess. Because I would love to have been in Tess. <laughs> <laughs> You and Nastasia Kinski. Yeah, I'm you, so pissed off that he didn't ask me. <laughs> right, yeah, right. You've seen his work in television mm-hmm. shows like St. Elsewhere, Tales from the Crypt, Homicide, Life on the Street, Frasier, Oz, Billions, The West Wing, and dozens of popular films like Catch-22, What's Up, Doc, The Muppet Movie, Simon, Starting Over, Guarding Tess, Short Circuit, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, A Beautiful Mind, Finding Nemo, and My Cousin Vinny, just to name a few. He's also one of the last surviving cast members of a movie we love to discuss on this podcast. Otto Preminger's are impossible to define 1968 comedy Skadoo. You bet. He's also known for his decades of work in the theater in both Broadway and off-Broadway productions such as The Diary of Anne Frank, Uncle Vanya, Toys in the Attic, Three Sisters, the original production of Fiddler on the Roof, and the current Choir Boys. He's written stage plays of his own, such as Orson Shadow, about the working relationship between Lawrence Olivier and Orson Welles, and has also directed numerous productions, including The Little Foxes, starring Elizabeth Taylor. In a long and illustrious and very busy career, he's worked with Meryl Streep, Barbara Streisand, Woody Allen, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, Zero Mostel, Jackie Gleason, Russell Crowe, George C. Scott, Billy Wilder, as well as former podcast guests Ron Liebman, Tony Roberts, Buck Henry, Keith Carradine, Whoopi Goldberg, and Peter Bogdanovich. Please welcome to the show an actor's actor, one of the hardest working people in show business, a man who says he still regrets 
turning down the role of Radar O'Reilly in Robert Altman's MASH, the legendary Austin Pendleton. Thank you. <laughs> I'm exhausted by that. <laughs> Most people are. I hadn't realized how tired I was until this moment. Welcome, oh, Austin. Yeah, yes. Thanks for coming now, out in the cold. Now, now, Austin, we had already started talking about this mm-hmm. before the mics were on. Uh huh. So let's. <laughs> you going right there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah going right going there. Right there. Now, I mean, at one time, I guess if someone had said to anybody, it's a new Otto Preminger film. Mm-hmm. It's a comedy starring Groucho Marx and Jackie Gleason. Mm-hmm. How could that fail? <laughs> <laughs> oh, even by that point, I understood in the business how things could fail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even in your even, first film. Even before Skidoo. You, you never know. You so, just don't ever know. So what was it like? Because that that had so many. Well, the thing people. about Skidoo, the first thing I want to say about first of all, I'll tell you very briefly how I got it. A man named Bill Cannon wrote the script for it. Yeah. He had first written the script for a film called Brewster McCloud. He wanted me to play to play Brewster McCloud, but I only had theater credits at that time. So people just said, "No, he has never been in a movie. How are we going to finance a little indie movie?" He wanted to make and direct himself called Brewster McCloud. So he wrote Skidoo, which is a charming script, and he wrote a supporting part for me in that, just so that I would have a film credit. And it was picked up by Otto Preminger. And um, so we made Skidoo. And um, so, and certainly the best thing about Skidoo for me was getting to know Otto Preminger, because he taught me just about everything I know about film acting. And I liked him a great deal. And a few years ago at the Film Forum, you know, here in New York, uh, they they had an Otto Preminger thing, like a retrospective uh-huh. that went on for weeks. And I was kind of free then. And so I went to just about all of them, including all the well-known ones, some of which I'd already seen, and a lot of little movies he made in the late 40s and the early 50s. And he was a brilliant film director. Um, Skidoo... <laughs> As we were making it, it was evidently a catastrophe. You, you, you just kind of knew on the set. Everyone God. knew, including Otto. And, and but you, you know, one one plows ahead, sure, and, and you, you, you and you get it made. And it um, it was a relatively pleasant set. There's a kind of a sweetness that comes over the set of a movie when everybody knows it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> and then it came out uh, uh, a few months later, in, and with a, a premiere was in Miami as a fundraiser for the Miami Arts Center that was going to be built. During the premiere, while it was going on, half the audience left. Oh my God! <laughs> and, and 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 we met up at the party, and uh, people pretended they had seen the whole movie. And you once said, "No, I saw you walk out." <laughs> We were, you know, and, and, and nothing could be said. And Otto was a model of fortitude and humor during all this. I mean, it was like he, he, he was famous for his, his temper and everything. Sure, but there much. wasn't that much of it on Skidoo. And, and, um, and then for, forever after that, he would invite me and my wife to his townhouse, you know, here in Manhattan, you know, for dinner. And he would screen a movie. One night, one 
unhappy night, he screened Skidoo before it opened. And he said, now this is terrible. You must understand this is terrible. Said, and so it opened and it got the reviews you would, we had all anticipated. And then a strange thing began to happen. Like I would be on the subway and bearded Columbia students would come uh, in the film department of Columbia would come up to me and say, hey, man, you're in Skidoo. And I'd go, yeah. And he'd go, oh, and they, do you sing the term? Heavy. Oh. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I mean, it, they, but it meant as a compliment, you yes. know. Well, and, it's, it's got cult status. Uh, some yeah, people, some people and, dig it. And and Friday and uh, so it opened in early 1969 or something like that. It opened wide, as they say, in early 1969. For 19, or is, yeah, 1969, it showed every Friday night at midnight on the Berkeley campus in California. And I began to say, what what is happening here? Because it doesn't work. You know, it, only a really talented director could have made it because it, it's um, – oh, and, and and then, by the way, meanwhile, I turned down the part in MASH, as you said. So the first film Robert Altman made after MASH was Brewster McCloud. Right. He was not about to cast me as Brewster McCloud when I had turned down. So the whole reason for all of this <laughs> – just, 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 And you know, Altman's I, one of your favorite filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. And I – and uh, – and and uh, he he was he had a he he sort of and I met him at a party once after a premiere of one of his films and he said oh yeah you turned down Mash this was about five years later you're never going to work for me and I've seen some of the films you have made and I'm the only one who would have understood you but then years went by and I met him again and he was so sweet and warm and told me well. Effectively, he said, you've had a good career even without me. And I, I said, I just want you to know there's no professional decision I regret more than turning down. Oh, how nice of man. you to say that to him. Well, I meant it. Yes. yes. I meant it. He's one of my favorite directors. I would have totally bought you and Brewster McCloud, too. In, oh, in, I would instead have of Bud to- Court. totally bought me. It would have been great. Now, but it, so was Bud Court. He was good. So these things good. work out. Yeah. You it, know. It's funny because Otto yeah. Kreminger yeah. has a reputation of being like the biggest bastard. Well, he, he was famous for his temper. I didn't see much of it on a little flashes. Very early in the shoot, we were filming, um, and um, uh, well, the way I got the part, I mean, I was in Los Angeles for some reason, and he was shooting the early parts of Skidoo in San Francisco. So they said, would you fly? He wants to give you what was then called a screen test. And so I flew up to San Francisco, and he was having an all-night shoot. And I, uh, I, was, I, was still, I was supposed to meet him outside his hotel, and we would drive to the location, and before he started to shoot what he was going to shoot that night, he would do a screen test. So we got in the back seat of his car, and we were, it was that momentous spring of 1968 when everything was happening politically. And we talked all the way out on the ride, we talked politics. And we got to the location, and he said to the driver, take Mr. Pendleton back to the airport. He wants to get the red eye to New York. And I said, wait, don't you want to do the screen test? He says, no, no, I enjoyed our conversation. You have the part. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, and what was Groucho like to work with? Just what you would think. 
everything he said was funny. None of it made its way into the film. That, <laughs> that, that, that but, last shot is the two well, of you. That's, that's a visual joke. Right, right. But everything he said, we had, on, uh, on the night before we shot that scene in The Rowboat, which, of course, is poetry, uh, I mean, that, um, we had dinner. Everything he said was funny. Right. <laughs> Every single thing he said was funny. Your so, first movie, and there you are with Groucho. Yeah, Marx. having dinner. It's pretty so heavy. Everything yeah. you'd want Groucho Marx to be, he was that. Totally, totally. But but Otto didn't. Otto and Groucho didn't figure out how to release the Groucho spirit into the movie. But that's true of just about all of us in the movie. People who are ordinarily brilliant are not very good in that movie. It's funny, and it's one of the great casts ever assembled. Yeah, well, it it happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. It just happens. And Jackie Gleason? He was lovely. Uh, I remember the first uh, first scene we were going to shoot was in the prison cell. When I was being brought into the prison cell, I was to share with Jackie Gleason. And Otto (laughs) gave me the unforgettable direction. Now... Now, in the scene, you must be frightened. <laughs> uh, remember, you, because you must remember, if you were pretty, they would rape you. <laughs> My God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jackie Gleason said, hey, hey, Otto, stop that. He's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so he was very affable, Jackie. And, of course, he was a mom. He was... Even when somebody's not doing their best work when you're working with them, if they're a good actor, you can really act with them. Because even if the choices are going awry and all that kind of thing, they, they give and take. And he was certainly one of those actors. And he was very sweet, very patient. He didn't want to rehearse ever because he was kind of, he was depressed, you know, he was a depressed person. Not depressed about Skidoo, just depressed. It's interesting. And so, famous for not wanting to rehearse. Yeah, and yeah. so he would stay in his trailer and he wouldn't rehearse. And uh, so Otto, in the times we would have been rehearsing while they were preparing the lights for the scene and everything, taught me about film acting. So in a, in, in, in a lot of ways, it was a lo- in the day-by-day way, it was a lovely experience, even though yeah. one knew it was doomed. What was that great piece of advice he gave you about uh, treat each take? As if it were opening night. I love that. Because he knew that I only worked in the theater. Right. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's an important thing he taught me, but he taught me, like, everything about film. So here's a kid from Ohio who's sitting, uh, yeah. overwhelmed by his first Hollywood movie, yeah. and you're working with Otto Preminger, Jackie Gleason, and Groucho. Yeah. Mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah. And I think Jackie Gleason, maybe because he hated rehearsal, he, on The Honeymooners... Yeah. He would pat his belly when he forgot a line. Oh, really? And the others really? would have to jump in yeah. and save him. Well, he would come out of his, his trailer, and some of the scenes were quite long, like six or seven pages, which is long for a movie. And so he would come out and he would say to, to the dialogue director, okay, let's go over the lines for the first page. So we would shoot it a page at a time. Yeah. And he wouldn't have learned his lines. But then on the, when we would... When we would shoot, he was totally in it. He was a good actor. Yeah. And a generous actor. Well, most good actors are generous. He actors. gave good dramatic performances. Oh. Soldier, Soldier in the Rain and The and Hustler. The Hustler and, oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. A lot of depth to the man. And, yeah. and what do you remember about the late Carol Channing? Well, she and I were not in ever in the same scene. So on that, I didn't meet her. Yeah. But I was in a show off Broadway. 
a musical called The Last Sweet Days of Isaac by Gretchen Cryer and Nancy Ford. And that ran for about a year and a half. And about a third of the way, it's just basically a two-character show with a backup group. And the actress in it, uh, after about the first three months, the one was Alice Platon. And Carol Channing had worked with Alice Platon. So she came to see it, and we would talk. We would, we, we would have communal shame about having been in Skidoo. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's, and, yeah. and, and she was Hilarious. very sweet and funny. You know. Hilarious. What's well, down to you, Michael Constantine and Frankie Avalon at this point? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much it. We had Frankie here. I how, talked about Skidoo. How is, how is Frankie? He's doing well. I, we had him a couple of years ago. How is Michael? Do you know? I don't know, but we should reach out. We reach should out. have all the surviving oh members of Skidoo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We should fraternity. have a party. A small and shivering group of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, go now, ahead, Gil. Now, you had a very funny part in um, My Cousin Vinny. Yes. As a uh, directed di- by our friend Jonathan Lynn, that's who, who right. We had on the podcast with whom I dined last night. Yes, he told another me. guest yeah. of ours. Yeah, and and you played the defense attorney with a terrible stuttering. Well, that that was in the script. Yeah, yeah, it was written that way. But um, okay, now mm-hmm. explain to the audience why you were so convincing. Well, first of all, I grew up with a stutter. And uh, quite a severe one in my adolescence. It it began when I was about eight or seven or something like that, and which is typically when it apparently does. And then, it, then what happened? Because I finally went to a program about it uh, in 1981, and they said that statistically, um, it's in culture to culture, three quarters of stutterers are men. Oh, interesting. And I mean, statistically, across uh, in through every culture, and also uh, if someone, if a kid develops it, they three quarters of the kids who develop it, it completely goes away when they become teenagers. But if it does not go away, it gets way worse, which is what happened to me. And acting became very important to me because I, it, I wouldn't stutter when I was acting. So acting now to me still feels like a survivor mode, even though... Yeah, I've heard you say it kind of saved your life Yeah, that way. Yeah, and uh, so I really didn't want to do my cousin Vinny. Did you think it was a... You said it was a... You thought it was a cruel joke when he said well, the script. cruel. <laughs> I said, is this a sick joke, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah. Because he, I'd known him since you know 1967. Jonathan. Right. And uh, he said, no, no, no. And then uh, he insists we did not go to a Greek restaurant where he talked me into it. I asked him about that last night. (laughs) no memory of that. He he flatly said that was a lie. (laughs) I I was wondering, uh when you had to stutter for the movie. It's terrifying. Yeah. Because the fear you have if you're a stutterer and you've kind of overcome it is if you start to do it again, it will come back and you won't be able to get rid of it. That's the fear. It's a primal fear. You're afraid to do it at all because then it'll sort of uh, some kind of some kind of neurological chain reaction. And so it was terrifying to do it. Must be like a reformed alcoholic having a drink. Recovering alcoholic, I think, is the word yeah. you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, reformed Jew. Yeah, yeah, Jew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, don't confuse them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's kind of like that, yeah. 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 So you were scared. But alcoholism can be fun. Yeah. That's not true of stuttering. Yeah. yeah. So you were scared. 
doing... I was terrified to do it. And because I'd done... The first play I did in New York was Oh, Dad, Poor Dad, Mama's Hung You in the Closet right. and I'm Feeling So Late Sad. Late Barbara Harris. With, with Barbara Harris and, and, uh, and Joe Van Fleet. Mm-hmm. And that character... And I played that for a year and that character has a stutter and he... It was like it would get out of control some nights. It was really... I, would, I never knew when it was going to get out of control. It was an exhausting year. And the director was Jerome Robbins. And about... A few weeks into the run, it began to get out of control on some nights and really out of control on some nights, which would ruin the scenes. And I, so I told the stage manager, I'm going to, I have to quit. <laughs> so the next day, the stage manager called me and said, on the way to the show tonight, stop at Jerry Robbins' apartment. This is Jerome Robbins. The great Jerome Robbins, yeah. The famous perfectionist. Uh-huh. And a brilliant, brilliant director. And um, so I went to his apartment on the way, and he said, so I hear you're going to quit, that you want to quit. He said, well, I can't stop you because it's an off-Broadway show, so it's a, you have a two-week out. But I don't want you to. I don't think you should leave, and I don't want you to leave. And I said, Jerry, I don't think you have any idea how bad it gets some nights. He said, we have a thing called a performance report. Yes, I do know how bad <laughs> First time I ever heard, right. when you were in college, they don't have performance right, reports. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, so I said, well, then I, I said, I remember saying, your name is on this. It's some nights, it's really bad. He said, well, I want you to tough it out. If you don't stay in this show, you'll never act again. First of all, you'll be afraid to. And secondly, the, the word will get out. So you just, so will you please stay in the show? Wow. We wouldn't be having this, our conversation right now, if that conversation had not taken That's place. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I struggled with it the year, and gradually I found a balance. I found even to kind of use it, um, which, which even though it would still be a little bit out of control, I was able to use it dramatically and have, have it not totally stop the performance in its tracks. Right. So it was a very kind of learn, and I began, and a, a, a good a person who's become a good friend of mine was in the show by the name of Barry Prime, is a, you know, a very good actor. And I said, I don't know what to do, Barry. He says, I'll tell you what. And he gave me subway directions to HB Studio. You go and study with Uta, that'll help. Uta Hagen. And so it did. And then in the fall, I began in the Lincoln Center training program, which was an eight-month training program for the Lincoln Center company that was going to begin the following fall with um, um, Ilya Kazan. And in that training program were Frank Langella and Barbara Loden and Faye Dunaway. Wow. And all kinds of remarkable people. And Barry Primus. And, um, um, excuse me, and we, and so, um, um, so that was eight hours a day, eight months from September to May, and uh, and five days a week, and for that overlapped with Oh Dad, Poor Dad for a few months, and so I learned a lot. There were there were classes in speech, and we had a wonderful speech and voice teacher, Arthur Lasek, and um, the acting teacher was Bobby Lewis, you know, who was a great Broadway director and acting teacher. So 
in all this year, I got a lot of education, and right. that sort of helped with of all course. this problem. But still, ultimately, I did get, after about a year in Oded, they had to fire me. It got to the point, it exploded again, and it got, it just was too much. And yet, what, what an act of compassion on, on the great Jerry Robbins' part, to, Ex- Jerome Robbins. Exactly. Say, I could just kick this man out the door, but I'm going to do a solid, I'm going to do him a solid. He saw something in you. Yeah, right. And there were, all, all, you know, a lot of good nights in Oded. Well, yeah. if you're acting with Barbara Harrison, you can't it's have some It's a funny play, by night. the way. You, there's yeah. something really wrong with you. Yeah. And and uh, the um, and Joe Van Fleet and everybody was compassionate. Arthur Coppett plays a funny play. Yeah, yeah. funny, tragic. Yeah. you know. Yeah. surreal, real, all okay. a remarkable play. And Barbara Harris was good to you too. And she was because we, we just lost her. She, I know. I've uh, that was hard. She was wonderful to act with. I mean, just like. And what other advice did Jerome, Jerome Robbins give you? Well, I'll put it this way. When when I finally got fired from ODAD, first of all, it was a relief. It was just so harrowing playing that play for a year. Sometimes it was great, but you never knew when the big black monster was going to come in. And mm-hmm. even, even when you're acting with Barbara Harris and so forth, but... But so it was kind of a relief. But on the other hand, I said, I just, I won't ever take a stuttering part again. That's what I said to myself. Because even with all this training I had in the course of that year, it was, it would lurk and then it would pounce. But the, I said, the only, the only bad thing about this, the fact that they finally had to fire me is I'll clearly never work again for Jerry Robbins. And that's sad because I owed all sure, that to him. Sure. Besides, he just was. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You can say it. <laughs> yeah. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> and the and um but then eight months later I got a call come in and audition for a musical that at that time had the name of Tevya. Uh-huh. And so I went in and I read he he wanted me to read for the part of the revolutionary in it named Perchik. And I got so excited by this because you couldn't find a more opposite role than Odad than that. And he called me and it was his wand with actors five, six times. And the last day he said, oh, while you're here, will you read the tailor? And I thought, oh, that stupid part. I want to play Perchick, but I'll, he's asking me to read it. I'll read it. And I kind of read it like this. And the next day I got the part. Fiddler on the Roof. The part of Muddle, not Perchick. And I, I threw a fit to my agent. I want to play Perchick. She said, <laughs> I hope you're not seriously telling me that you're going to turn this down. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I said, no, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and um, so, two weeks after that, I'm I'm running to a singing lesson, and he's and I run into Jerry Robbins on Columbus Circle. He's running to some appointment. We're both late. He stops me. He says, "Okay, you took a part of Muddle, so now we're going to totally revise the part of Muddle, and we're going to make it fit you." Oh, that's great. And then he ran off to his appointment. He said, what, what, what we're going to do is we're going to make him at the beginning of the show a totally hopeless case. You can really do that. <laughs> He's a really hopeless case that there's no chance that this guy would ever be able to, you know, and then you're going to find the strength to win her, uh, the approval of her father, played by Zero, played by Zero Mostel, who at that point had not yet been cast. Interesting. Wow. Again, I, a young actor, and here you are. Yeah. Gleason, and, Groucho, I was the first and now Zero But <laughs> the reason I was, was my agent, a woman by the name of Deborah Coleman, said to um, 
to to Jerry, if you're going to hire him, hire him because he's in the Lincoln Center company. I'd been taken in the company. And um, uh, if he does your show, he has to quit the Lincoln Center. So you have to you have to make a decision tomorrow. I don't know if any agent ever successfully said that to Jerry Robbins before or after that. But he said, OK, he can play model. So all these things come about in these weird ways. Well, I've heard you say that, too, in interviews. There's so much serendipity and so much luck involved. Yeah, and, and so there's many. a lot of reverse luck, too. Sure. I mean, I've had had strokes of profound luck, almost all of which I've just described to you. Yeah. And and the uh, and then things where it just goes so foully wrong for sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes also, years. I've also know. heard you say there are five movies, and you go and you look at your body of work, and you think there are four or five key movies, and if that those had not happen to you, you wouldn't be sitting here talking to us either. You wouldn't have totally. achieved that kind of fame, that kind of yeah, c- c- celebrity, the big for lack one of a better What's word. Up, Doc? And What's ironically, up, Doc? one of the big ones is my cousin Vinny. Right. And I say ironically, my cousin Vinny is a masterpiece. It's a wonderful film. And Jonathan Lynn, it's like perfectly directed. And it has those, the, it has those performances in it, the two leading performances that are, just make it take flight. And it's beautifully constructed. And here's a twist. And everything that you've done, Austin, and all of these wonderful people yeah. you've worked with, two of the films that are following you around for mm-hmm. life are Skidoo, are Skidoo and, my cousin, and my cousin Vinny. <laughs> and the one where you're stuttering, you went into acting to get away from stuttering. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, for years after my cousin Vinny, people were reluctant to hire me for film. Interesting too. Yeah, they said they'd say, I, "I loved you and my cousin Vinny," and that was code. that was code for yeah, forget it. And uh, and people prominent in the business would say, "You know, you're never going to be that good again." Which rough? Which is the hell does that mean? That's I I I'm never going to say that to an actor ever. Sure, of course. And and but it meant if it could be roughly translated is from now on everybody's just going to want you to stutter because we know you do. So it's going to look dishonest if you don't stutter. Oh, this is a nightmare. Now, this was nothing that Jonathan Lynn had intended. Of course, of course. And, and Jonathan put me in three more movies after that. Yeah. And Whoopi put me in a movie. Mm-hmm. And Barbara put me in a movie. Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Yeah. And so, I mean, people rallied round. But um, there was this big uh, resistance. Uh, um, but still... I'm in my cousin Vinny, which is a great thing. Well, do tell that story too of the woman who approached you and told you the story of her son. Uh, oh, which that. Is... oh, yeah. Well, she had had. I mean, I met her 20 years after this, but her son was dying at the age of 13 and a, of a tumor, a brain tumor. I think. I think that's what it was in a hospital, and it was very difficult and unbelievably horrible, of course. And he just loved to watch that scene, and my cousin Vinny would cheer him up. Well. How can you argue with that? When you hear something that, like that. That alone would make it worth it. Of course. You know. Yeah. And and um, and on top of that, all it's a truly great film. Well, now, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the... Of, 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 of the... Jury! Um... Uh, uh, on 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 January fourth of this year, my client did indeed uh, visit the Sackersuds. Um, 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 
convenience store. But, but, he didn't, um, kill anyone. He, he, uh, um, uh, we, we intend to prove that the prosecution's case is circumstantial and, 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 oh, uh, coincidental. Thank you. And you're funny in the other Lynn pictures in Trial and Error. That, and and I, even I a small like part in Greedy. Is, I like yeah. that one. Yeah. I like Trial and Error yeah. as much as I like my cousin Ben. Yeah, you have a way of stealing the scene, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to think of it that and, way. And before I forget to ask, how is it like working with Zero Mustel? It was like being inside a Roman candle. <laughs> It, it was Did like, he ad lib a bit? <laughs> well, he never actually added lines, I but see. he would do behavioral variations they could euphemistically. He would do literally anything right. that came into his head. Right. Not his head, his whole being. He would just do things. It's the scene, the big scene that we had together was where I come and I tell him he has to let me marry his daughter, even though I'm a poor tailor. And I and and one night I had the big line. Um, uh, and where I say it's it's me and he his line is but you're only a poor tailor one night while saying that he grabbed me by the balls <laughs> oh my god and, and, and did not let go and, and it, was, it, it, it could be said that an orthodox milkman would oh not god. do that uh, and, and he held on you know and and uh, at um, and then he would do almost equally outrageous things on other nights. And but I loved him. You did. We had Gino Conforti here, by the way. Who oh, was the original? Who was the original of course, Fiddler? How is he? He's well. We'll put you in touch. Oh he's please. In L- he's in L.A. and a lovely guy. Oh, he's a wonderful guy. Told us the same guy. thing that Orson would just Orson, excuse me, Zero would just do anything, literally anything for a laugh. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it wasn't even for a laugh. It, it was just like he felt like it. Just to amuse himself, keep <laughs> yeah. himself entertained. And and then other scenes he could be amazingly poignant. Yes. Amaz- heartbreakingly poignant. He, I think he's the greatest natural actor that maybe I've ever worked with. Look what I found yesterday in a uh, in a oh, local. I'm, hold, I'm holding up the original album, album, the original cast recording of yeah. Zero, and then look at that, Austin Pendleton. It says Austin Pendleton. Right there on the album. Wow. Whatever. Well, it's, I'm glad it does. It's the only job I still don't believe I ever did. It's right here. And I you know. had a sing, and you had a solo. I, I, which was put in at the 11th hour. Yeah. Yeah. Miracle of Miracles. They, I had a different song, and then they, then they were looking for a song for Bert Convey, who who ended up playing the part of Perchik, and they were having trouble finding the right song for Perchik, so they did had me sing a song in the first act and him sing at the beginning back to a variation on that same song called Now I Have Everything. Right. With a different lyric, with a different orchestration, with a different rhythm, and of course, and and Bert handled that song extraordinarily well and a, a woman said Morris didn't the little Taylor sing that in the first act was heard to say so Bert finally just said 
Would you just write another song for Austin? <laughs> That's great. That was nice. Every of night I hear people say, didn't the Taylor sing this? <laughs> and the fact that they were asking it as a question was alarming to me. But um, the um, uh, so they wrote overnight, they wrote Miracle of Miracles. I mean, uh, there, I think there was a Gideon's Bible in, in Sheldon Harnick's hotel room. So he look, looked through it and saw about, that. saw about all the miracles, and he wrote that lyric, and Jerry wrote the music. I mean, Jerry Bach wrote the music, and there it was. I would imagine the only record of you singing is the, is the album, the only thing that, that, that remains. No, there's an album of The Last Sweet Days of Isaac. Okay. Which is, okay. that's a wonderful score. Okay. How's that's, your singing? Well, it was good enough for the, those two shows. Okay. And, and it went... Um, and I was in a couple. I was in a musical by Arthur Miller about the Book of Genesis, Adam and Eve. You know, with a very ambitious score by Stanley Silverman and lyrics by Arthur Miller. And now, a friend of mine, Barbara Blyer, and I, we do um, a cabaret down at Pangea on Second Avenue. Oh, well, we're going to come. We're going to come we, and see you do this. Yeah, that's we've, great. We've um, we Gilbert. Started, we have to go. Oh yeah. See Austin huh. singing cabaret. Yeah, yes. we started them about. Two and a half years ago, maybe, or something like that. Are you doing show tunes? No, three years ago. And we do a new cabaret. We do two or three new cabarets a year, and every one of those has has four or five performances. So our next one, I think, is going to be in April. And tell us about Catch-22, how that came about. That came about because I had done a play with Mike, um, The Little Foxes. I'd acted in his production of Little Foxes, which had one of those Mike Nichols cast. I got into that by a fluke. Oh, and Bancroft. And Bancroft. George yeah. C. Scott. George C. Yes, George C. Scott and Margaret Layton. Yes. E.G. Marshall and Bea Richards and on and on. We love E.G. Marshall. We love character actors here oh, he on this was, show. He and I were friends forever after that. I, I then directed him in quite a few shows after that, most of them by Ibsen. And um, he... Um, that was a great time. But I got it because he had offered it to Dustin Hoffman while they were making The Graduate, and Dustin couldn't make up his mind, and Mike finally got So he was talking to the producer in New York who said, is Dustin said yes or no? This is how it was described to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Mike said, no, he still hadn't said, and I th- we have to move on. Just find me another eccentric character actor. <laughs> and my picture was in the paper that day, and the producer was looking at, at it. He said, Austin Penn, he said, hire him. Another one of those weird things. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes beyond even being serendipity. Yes, it's just. Yeah. If you ever return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcasts right after these important messages. Hi, this is Art Metrano, and I'm on the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal. I thought it was a podcast, but no, but there was no pot here when I arrived. Oh, it's a pod, pod, B-O-D, cast. I'm on the Gilbert Gott, Gottfried, and his wife, Dar, but she's too pretty for him, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Man, the man with the mightiest touch. 
Just kidding, it's all Frank. And now we return to the show. You got to work with Orson Welles. Yes, for two weeks in Catch-22. Yes, you were playing his son-in-law. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. He was... Don't call me dad. He was... (laughs) I just watched it again. He was irresistible. He was a bad boy. He gave Mike Nichols such a hard time. (laughs) Oh, he was so bad. But, you know, he was unforgettable. And... It was that he wanted to originally make. Yeah, he he wasn't happy that it was being made and he was only in it. And he uh, he would he would redirect the scenes just before we were about to shoot. Incredible. And they weren't as good as the way Mike had directed them. They were okay. They're brilliantly written, and you know, and but he was. And then we would sit in the desert in Mexico, all of us in a in a circle with those those high chairs you sit in. And we would just throw the names of different film directors at him, like throwing fish to a seal, you know. He would, <laughs> and he would give his views. <laughs> like uh, how he fired Fred Zinnemann from, from, from... Oh, yeah, the, the he, he, made, he was and, still yeah. glowing with pride that he kicked Fred <laughs> Zinnemann off the set, <laughs> you know, in A Man for All Seasons. Right. And, uh, um, uh, and he would say... Um, Self t- things where he would he would deprecate himself, uh-huh. which fooled no one. He would say of Renoir, "I hear Renoir hates my films. If I were Renoir, I would hate my films too." And you want to say, "Give me a fucking break!" <laughs> you know, and and uh, he uh, um, he hated Stanley Kubrick with an almost fanatic. <laughs> Why? Uh, <laughs> well, I think because Stanley Kubrick had learned how to game the system. Yeah. And Orson never did. I well, see. Orson willfully right. never did. Right, right. And, and, and Stanley Kubrick had figured out how to make movies for Hollywood, and they're his own movies. And retain his individual yeah, stamp. Yeah. And, I, yeah. he, and he would, I'm going to teach a film course where I take a part in every element of the movie making, paths of glory to show how not to make a movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, incredible. Yeah, and isn't it that uh, Wells, if he, if he was angry with the way the scene was going, he would threaten that he'd ruin the scene. No, he wouldn't threaten. He yeah. would ruin. Yeah. The scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Manipulative was I was the word I think you used to describe. Actually, it. that word is so pale compared really? to what he would do. <laughs> okay, he would wreck the scene. Uh huh. He would say. Uh, there's something I don't usually blow lines, Mike. I mean, there's something wrong with the scene. I don't think it's anything I'm doing. <laughs> Incredible. And and <laughs> Mike was endlessly patient, and we would finally get a take, and Mike would slip me a Hershey bar as a prize for the fact that we actually got through a whole take <laughs> without Orson blowing, <laughs> deliberately blowing his lines. <laughs> what was your very first impression of him upon meeting him? Oh. Was he was he gracious? Was he? Oh was yeah! He, was Even he, when he was doing all this shit, he was gracious. He was gracious, and he was. It was hard to dislike him. Oh, you couldn't dislike. Yeah. But what I, the a real regret that I had is that I didn't see a lot of his movies until after that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd only I'd seen Citizen Kane, but I mean the, of the ones he. Then a few months later in New York, they had all these revival houses, and I one day I saw the Magnificent Ambersons, and I thought, oh, I take it all back. I wish I had seen this before I knew him. You'd said some smart alky things about I him. I said, really? 
I mean, come on. I'm this young, struggling character actor, and I'm saying, I will miss him such as the perversity of human nature to the press. <laughs> Just, you know, I mean, come on. Okay, and so then you were, yeah. you you educate you got yourself an Orson Welles film education. Yeah, you and watched I saw Chimes Touch of Evil and Touch of Evil. I think all those films are as good as Citizen. They're Kane. all wonderful. Chimes at Midnight. I love Chimes at Midnight. I love Ambersons, even though they recut it. They took it yeah, from them and they those, recut it. But still, they uh, the basic the, the genius thrust, is up there. Oh, you know, the genius is runs rampant. And then you never it. saw him again. Never saw him again. He, I, I th- that's a regret. No, never. What to, that you didn't have a chance to make yeah, a personal I, amends? Yeah, that I. I'd love to have been a movie in a movie he directed. Yeah, I would love to just run into him in a bar somewhere and talked with him. Right. and told him how much I loved all those movies. You're both in the Muppet movie, but you didn't get a chance to work no, together. No, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, what a shame. Yeah, yeah, and you met Bogdanovich in that de- in the desert too. In his yes, black suit. He, he was interviewing uh, <laughs> Orson in the desert. He had, no, he had a black suit. In 100 on. degree temperatures. And then uh, my agent submitted me for What's Up, Doc. And Peter said, uh, apparently, well, I, I just don't think he's right for it. He's more, more right for something like in Catch-22 that he played. And I said, tell Peter, who I'd never really met, uh, tell Peter that I only did ca- <laughs> I only did Catch-22 as a favor to Mike. (laughs) If he believes that, he'll believe anything. (laughs) But he said, okay, come in and read. And then I read and I got it. Yeah. And you do again a a fluke. So many flukes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It's interesting to hear you talk about that when you're interviewed. And we want to plug the documentary, too, that both Gilbert and I watched. Yeah. Starring Austin Pendleton. Yeah. Which is coming out, I'm told, by the, the director. Uh, it's the hour, 20-minute one. We watched the long one. Yeah. And it was yeah, fascinating. That, and you're so humble about so I, many things that happened for you. Well, and I was in the right place y- at the right time. Well, were, yeah, you have to be humble. Yeah. Almost everything I've told you is like almost absurd luck. Then on the other hand, I did a season that was not well received at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And I was not well received in it, one play after another. And for seven years, I was—I couldn't get work in New York as an actor on the on the Broadway level, or, or even auditions. Hard to believe. Yeah. So the, it it works two ways. That's when you got the call for the Muppet movie, which you didn't. If if I got if I've got the history of this um, together, your and your agent said you can't turn this down. It's a movie. Yeah, I it didn't. You thought it was a goofy part, and uh, yeah, and and I had a meeting with the director Jim Frawley, and this was after my my theatrical career had just collapsed, so I was not holding all the cards in this meeting. I would it some somehow word of my catastrophe had not reached Hollywood. <laughs> uh, if it were the era of of the internet, it would have that would have been it. Uh, but the the. Um, but it, in the theater, I would, I would try to get an audition for a show through my agent, and she wouldn't be able to get me the audition. This went on for years. And so I would call the casting director, whom I knew from before, or whoever, whoever it was, and she would say, uh, I mean, this happened with several casting. I would say, please let me audition for this. And she would talk a mile a minute, and you knew she'd been told, under no circumstances. And she said, okay, 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 I'll, I'll bring you in, I'll bring you in. And so I'd go in, and on a couple of occasions, the director actually said, what is he doing here? Unbelievable. Yeah, it was like that. And and Lynn Redgrave said to me, you're in real trouble because that used to happen to my father, but that was London. 
and they don't take that that seriously in London. You keep working. But in New York, they're brutal that way. Right. And the fact that she explained it, took the time to explain it to me actually kind of cheered me up. Good company, Michael Redgrave. Yeah, Michael Redgrave. She, she <laughs> would talk about when I was growing up, right. my father my, and John and Ralph, by yeah, whom she right. met. Right, Ralph Richardson and, and John, right, Gilgood, John, John Gilgood. That they would get these awful reviews, but it was always understood that they'd they'd be working again the following season. She said, that's not what happens in New York. You're going to have a very rough time. And it was very kind of her, it, although it was brutal news. She put it in this larger perspective. So I thought, okay, I'll just... Whatever come I mean, and so I did. I started acting in a lot of showcases, right? In which I got to play great Shakespearean roles. I would that even in my heyday, I would never ever have been considered for because it was always about the work for you anyway. It was never about celebrity or fame or anything. It was about doing good work. Olympia Dukakis said that to me early on. It's gotta be about the work, Austin. The work. The you work. tell your students that, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I say once you make it about anything other than that, you're just in for a crazy toboggan slide downhill you know well what's nice about taking the muppet movie though if i have this right is you it, it turns out to be a silver lining because even though it was an unhappy set yes <laughs> which is a whole other thing because yeah. frank oz and henson didn't cotton to somebody else directing their yeah, yeah. their it characters was, it, it was tense i it bet sweet movie and it was like it was an edgy set but charles durning mm-hmm. winds up helping you at that to, point. To get starting over. Starting over. And Charlie with, with, Durning had movie. been in Fiddler Out of Town, playing a Catholic priest. So you had a, you had a, you had a relationship. Yeah, and we got to be to be good friends on that. But then he his part got cut in Detroit in mm-hmm. Fiddler. Fiddler was in real trouble out of town. People don't realize that. I mean, like, it could close. It almost closed. I didn't know that. Oh. Nor did we know that Charles Durning was in Fiddler on the Roof. No! Yeah. That, that, that threw me. That's wild. And they cut his part, so he was out. And then I started being in all these movies he was in. And starting over, which is That's a, a good movie to that be in. That was Alan Pakula. Yeah. So he was an Irish priest in Fiddler. Not not Irish. He was a Catholic priest. Yeah. Or what do they call it there? Orthodox. Whatever. He was a priest of the Christian religion. Wow. In, in Fiddler. So and, and what was it like doing uh, What's Up, Doc? Great. That it, Howard Hawks tempo, that it was, speed it that Bogdanovich was, hard. It was, was going for. It was very hard. Maybe the hardest. And Peter would like to shoot everything in completely in the master without cutting to close-ups. So if anybody made a mistake, you had to start all over again. And it had to be spoken at the speed of light, like a Howard Hawks Right, comedy. that's what he was going for. And and so you would get in these scenes that went on for four or five minutes and everybody talked. And if, and if anybody slipped a word, you had to start all over again. And it was like, so among the things that that, that achieved, apart from the fact that it's just effective on film, was... It forged an ensemble. We were all dependent on each other in these in the group scenes. So there was not a hierarchy on that set. I don't think there would have been anyway. I mean, I mean, Barbara is really she's a Democrat. I mean, she the, the, there's no feeling of oh, I'm the star and all that. 
Can I sit next to you, Miss? I Burns? wouldn't have it any other way. And why don't you sit here on my right, Bannister? No, if you could please move, Mr. Simon. But, sir, this is not, this is definitely not. Bannister, this is not the seating arrangement according to the place cards, but I think we can break a few of the minor social customs. Sir, I must point out to you. I must point out that foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Emerson. I beg your pardon, my Ralph dear. Waldo Emerson, born 1803, died 1882. You like Emerson? I adore him. I adore anyone who adores Emerson. And I adore anyone who adores anyone who adores Emerson. Your turn. She's a delight, <laughs> Bannister, a delight, and you're a lucky dog. No, but aren't this you? is th admit it. You, you're that admit you're a lucky dog. I'm a lucky dog, but Miss sir. Burns, may I call you you? No. What well, Howard means is that back where we come from, everyone calls me Burnsy. Burnsy. Uh -huh. Burnsy. I like that. Burnsy. <laughs> Help. You guys are great together. You have nice chemistry. I love no her. scenes. I and she used you again. She hired you again for the, the mirror. Two faces. I love her. I would. I would do anything she asked me to do. Mm -hmm. Tell us just about two, uh, and tell me if I have this right. You kind of all thought you were making a flop. Oh, with yeah. what's up, Doc? That's and what she told me. Twenty four years later, the mirror has two faces. She said, "Have Austin come in the after at the end of the afternoon so we can talk." So I went in. The first thing she said to me, "You remember what a piece of shit we thought that was going to be." <laughs> After 24 years. <laughs> That's wild. Which yeah. kind of sort of leads to a larger question. I've heard you say that when you're in a comedy, you've really never been in a comedy where you didn't think something was going wrong or it wasn't working. Because it's so, well, particularly on film, because the crew's not allowed to laugh while you're shooting a scene, obviously. Right. So you don't, you're out of touch with what the effect of it is going to be. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, and as the guy, as the a com comedian said when he was dying, uh, he says, dying is hard, but comedy is harder, you know. Um, the It is hard. It's just, it's all about precision in a way that dramatic scenes are not so completely of course. about precision. Of course. Gilbert, do you find that? You've been in your share of comedies. Is it hard because you can't you, you can't hear laughter? You're not getting any oh, kind of feedback? It It definitely... It's you, easier in the theater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're definitely going. Well, well, wait a minute. Was that? You're asking everybody. Was that? Was that funny? Was yeah, right. Yeah. There's no way of knowing. It's like being in a in a. It's like being in a void somewhere, and hopefully you're, you're you're friends with the other people. Yeah. Uh, the two hardest films to make that I ever was in were yeah. What's Up Doc and My Cousin Vinny. Really? Yeah. But and for my cousin, it was those other reasons too. But um, happily, they both were brilliantly directed. Do you think you have they, natural comic timing? Was this something that you had to acquire? I don't know what natural comic timing. You don't even, even know what is. it is. Is it, is it does it not exist as a concept? Can you? It's only a concept. I see. It's like you take things in and you respond, and you if you're concentrating, you respond intuitively, and it, but you're not thinking, how do I time this? Right. Yeah. Right. Because you're good in comedies. You're, is what you're I mean. playing the scene. Well, I'm good in comedy because I'm a funny kind of person. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 do you mean that? I don't mean witty. I mean, f I'm a odd person. Eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. And so that means you're good in comedy. It, it's it's not because you have so uh, have comic skills. In fact, I have trouble in the opposite directions. People. Have, People have said to me, I can't cast you in this role, although you're completely right for it, because I just simply can never take you seriously. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's I, been said to me a few times. I think someone asked mm -hmm. Don Knotts uh, why he, you know, what makes him so funny. 
And he pointed to his face and he goes, well, it, it helps if you look like this. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he's totally right. Well, so you, if you think of people who are often cast in comic roles, there's, there's an oddness just in the way that we look. Well, it turns up in the documentary, which we'll plug again, okay. uh, the, the starring Austin Pendleton, which will eventually hit Amazon, I'm told, soon by, by the director, Gene uh, Gallerano. But there's a moment where, first of all, where Ethan Hawke says that he has so much respect for your craft. He says if, if Austin wasn't a little odd-looking mm-hmm. or so eccentric, yeah. he could have been Brando, yeah. which is quite a compliment. I liked, I liked when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like Ethan. I like Ethan a lot. And, and I I liked even even before he said that. But then there's there's just speaking about being a character actor, uh-huh. you know, Wallace Shawn, your friend Wallace Shawn says in the in the documentary. Him, him I had drinks with the other night. Uh-huh. He's great. He's worked with Gilbert. Oh yeah. yeah. He's, he's a genius. He said I have yeah. a better and, chance of being right. elected oh, president yeah, that's that. than being cast yeah, yeah. to play the president. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's one is, that's the best that. sentence about being a character a comic character actor that I have ever heard. That's the definitive statement. Yeah. But there's a great yeah. line about you are always getting cast as absent-minded professors. Yeah. And as people who are scientists, and I don't, I can't understand the basic principles of science. I mean, my daughter is a surgeon. Yes. And, 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 and I, I would attend her classes in organic chemistry. I, she went to Smith, and I... Um, and so I went up to direct a play at Smith just to be on the campus when she was. And I, I would go to her organic chemistry classes and, and I would say to her, can I ask the professor a question? She said, if you do, I'll never speak to you again. <laughs> <laughs> That's subtle. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> she was aware the question would reveal such a vast ignorance of everything the professor had been talking about that it would be <laughs> yeah. a disaster. Yeah. I watched you in one of those roles last night in Simon. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, Terrific movie, but there you are with the scientific gibberish that you, that you, it's fun, fun to know you don't understand what you're Not saying. Not a word of it. <laughs> but the, and then that, there was a show in the 90s or something called The Equalizer. Yeah, sure. And I played yeah, a Edward com- Woodward. Yeah, and I yeah. played a computer expert, and we were shooting a scene in a part, little apartment on the Upper West Side, and the actress... Uh, was in some of the other scenes. She was lying down on the sofa in the next room, Lindsay Krauss. And so I had this long computer speech about computer and everything. And and they got the take, and then she she walks into the room, Lindsay, and she says, you know, that was remarkable. I almost believed you knew what you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, that's the finest compliment. I I didn't have a clue. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I think there's a scene in the doc with your friend Bob Balaban, Mm -hmm. who we're hoping to have on here soon. And he says, says, the call goes out for the absent-minded professor, Austin, me, and Wallace Shawn. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost interchangeable. I mean, you know, uh, pick one of them. You know. I think Gilbert is uh, Gilbert's been in your boat. Yeah, you're, you're not. You were not offered too many, you know, no, roles no. as a president I, or a surgeon yeah. or the head of a hospital. <laughs> yeah, you're always yeah. cast no, as oddballs. I'm usually not an FBI man. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a new ambition. Now that you've said that, yes. <laughs> by God, one day I'm going to play an FBI man. Yeah, they bring you in for care. what? For yeah. the oddballs? For uh, the, yes. the, the, the yes. weird, the so, weird substitute. 
the yeah. weird principal or the See, I when when I auditioned for um Beverly Hills Cop 2, I remember I'm forgetting one of the names now. Uh the actor he was in Clueless and uh, uh, and he he played Jack Ruby. Oh yeah. Oh in uh, uh, Jack yeah. Ruby. Yeah. yeah. Which where when did he play Jack uh, Ruby? In a TV movie. Oh, cool. Dan Hedaya? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Jesus. Well, it doesn't what? matter. Wait, wait. No, that's <laughs> John just... A- John Ashton? No. <laughs> this is going to kill me now. <laughs> I think if you just breathe deeply. Well, tell the story and we'll and come back. In the middle and just... of some anecdote about 10 minutes from now, just simply shout the name. I, out Alan or Michael something. All right, I'm going to look it up while you tell okay. the anecdote. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Wait. Go ahead. I'm he trying to, to think, think of, of another movie he was in. He wants to think of it himself. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, no, well, we you'll be, have to look it up We anyway. could be here a while. Yeah, if that's the case. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, so, so what happened? Well, well, wait a second. It helps if you know the name of this not Ro- guy. Not Ronnie Cox. No. Okay, hang on. I'm looking up the cast of Beverly Hills Two. Uh, we can cut out. No, all he this. wasn't in Beverly, Beverly, Beverly Hills Cop Two. I was, I was in that. Okay. Was he in Clueless? I think he was in. I think he was the father in Clueless. He Dan was Hedaya. the father in Dan Hedaya no, was the, the TV in- show Clueless. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Leave all, uh, leave all this in. Leave all this. Leave it in. We'll yeah. leave it in for Austin. Austin, yeah. Austin, if you want to go out and take a walk. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, hang on. We're getting there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, boy, oh boy. Clueless, the TV show. Nope. Don't have it, Gilbert. Cast and Fuck. Car- Cast and characters: <laughs> Donald Faison, Wallace Shawn, Michael Lerner. Michael Lerner. Oh, Michael, Michael Lerner. Lerner. Good actor. Oh yeah. Good actor. From yeah. Mark Fink. Yes. 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 So oh, when I was auditioning for Beverly Hills Cop 2 yes. as the Jew behind the desk, yeah, right. <laughs> I thought, okay, right, right. if I don't get this, it's either going to go to Michael Lerner or Brian Garfield. Oh, mm-hmm. Alan Garfield. Alan Garfield. Alan Gorwitz. Uh, yeah, you know, Alan Gorwitz. Gore- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I remember, yeah, because you know the actor. Oh, yeah, you, you know the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Who you can be replaced yeah, with. Yeah. yeah, you say they never put you in a Jessica Lange movie, and by that you mean <laughs> you mean something. Yeah. First of all, she's a favorite of mine. Oh, she's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, the kind of movies she makes, I don't s- tend to end up in. Let's put it that serious way. Serious movies about serious people. About, and about human relate. I mean, relationships among human beings rather than, you know, like androids or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Well, you turn up in a beautiful mind. And- That's nice. But still, yeah. I played someone outside that whole realm of a beautiful what mind. What do you want to play? Well, I, I, get, I get to play it in theater. Right, somewhat sure. Somewhat free. Uh, yeah. A person with relationships and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, you and I, and see, yeah. now I'm, I'm going into dementia. Oh, <laughs> well, we got to Michael Lerner. I, I forget the director who you said did this. He had a great way of reshooting the scene if you screwed up. He had a really nice way of putting it. That the director would say, you know, oh, he would say, I respect you. Oh, it was Wilder. Oh, Billy Wilder. Wilder. Tell us us what Wilder would say. He he said to me the first day we were shooting, this is uh, the front page. He said, I did a take and he said, I respect your talent too highly to allow the American public to see what you just did. (laughs) (laughs) A wonderful line. (laughs) 
I thought, I'm going to like this guy. It's a great know. compliment yeah. and insult. At yeah, the right. Same yeah, exactly. Time. Not to mention what he said upon meeting you. Do you recall? Which was what? He said, uh, I, 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 before I die, I told, I promised myself. Yes, he did say that. Imagine. Yeah. You know, tell our listeners what he said. Cause I'm, no, you say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassing him. He yeah. said before that Viennese charm, right? Yes, right. right. Or what, Austria, yeah, Austria like charm. You can't, you, he, when you take on the air, just start quoting the compliments that have been paid. He you. said it's to the Austin, beginning of the end. "I yeah. promised myself that I would work with you before I died." Mm-hmm. What had he? What yeah. had he seen you in? Something Some on place. stage. Some place. Something on stage. Yeah. And what was that set like? I understand Lemon and Matthau Warden feuding with Wilder a little bit. They were unhappy with him, and he was unhappy with them. How interesting. It all turned out fine. I mean, I, I don't know what... And then they they both worked with him again. Buddy, buddy. Yeah. yeah one more. So, I mean, one more obviously... Time. Whatever that was was not very such great history there. Very serious, yeah. but you got to befriend Carol Burnett. Oh, so just, we, we played Scrabble all the time. That's great. <laughs> we played Scrabble. She, oh, she we, that was wonderful. Matthew and Lemon got along with each other. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. No, it was they were uh, <clears throat> having issues with Billy. Yeah, and he with them. It wasn't like poisoning the whole set or anything. The set was very professional and cordial and all that. One day, um, Carol said to me, look at Billy right now. And I said, he just found out that there was a fire in his office and paintings worth millions of dollars were destroyed. And he was instructing the crew about the next shot. And I went over to him and I said, Billy, oh, I just heard what happened. I'm so sorry. And he said, he basically answered with a shrug and a smile. I mean, wow, he was amazing. Wow. Yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Tell us about directing Elizabeth Taylor on the stage in her first stage production. It was no problem. See, I I was the part of the reason I thought that could work. The little foxes. Yeah, the little foxes was that a lot of her best screen work was in scripts that were originally written for the stage with very strong dramatic through line. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is an obvious cat on a hot yeah, roof sure. and suddenly sure. last summer and all that. So she knew how to think in those big terms of a great stage role. So, um, in fact, The Little Foxes, which is a demanding play, but it's not as demanding as Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or anything by Tennessee Williams. And it's, um, um, so she'd already, it, on film, but she had done, and, and those films all have very long takes, takes that go on for five, ten minutes, big, charged, theatrically written emotional scenes. So I thought, this, uh, this is... Uh, She's halfway there. She's a lot more than halfway there already, and and um, um, and she was. And Maureen, Sta- Maureen Stapleton was in that cast oh, yeah. as well. What a what a oh. what a thrill for you! Oh yeah, working with these people, huge, yeah. huge. And again, that was a very cheerful set. A lot of that due to Elizabeth Elizabeth Taylor, like with Barbara Streisand. She she was a Democrat. There right. she. One night we were opening in New Orleans after we'd played on Broadway. And the producer took over a little French restaurant. And, and, we, we, and, and we stood around having our drinks. And then 
there was a slight kind of delay when we were to sit down at the table and I went to someone I said why is there a delay he said because Elizabeth just found out the understudies were going to be in a separate area and she insisted they be at the table no one knew this wow I was the only one who knew it because I asked that was exactly typical of her so if the person who's wielding the particular power or clout on that film set or on in that production yeah. is, a, is, a, is a good human being, is, then, then it, it's a harmonious it working environment. It changes everything. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. And you've been, <laughs> and you, and, and consequ- and you've been on bad sets. I've been all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you've been on sets where, like, actors were pulling yeah. star trips. Yeah. Like Orson on Catch Yeah, 22. well, that, but that was almost clownish. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that, that right. was a performance. Yes. You know, I mean, that was just, let's, let, let me make it clear that Mike <laughs> should not be directing this film. <laughs> <laughs> this is just after The Graduate, like, right. oh, we all took that so seriously. <laughs> oh, maybe Mike doesn't know how to direct film. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it was so patently ridiculous. That, that, yeah. Or telling Mike Nichols how to direct comedy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> With all deepest, profoundest respect to Orson, you see those films, comedy is not his long No, story. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But not you've worked with moments. actors who've just felt that they were the star. You will get no further words out of me on this subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God right. damn it. Yeah, right. <laughs> nice try, Gilbert. <laughs> Nice try. Yeah, Before right. we let you go, uh, Austin, yeah, right, Austin's yeah. got to run to to teach a class. But, wow. But is this bullshit? Uh, you know, you don't trust what you find on the internet, but were you considered for the part of Fredo in The Godfather? This is the first I've ever <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. I don't think that would have worked. Because <laughs> right. I, I yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I'm one of those actors who actually, I think I can play anything. Right. But I think even I would draw the line at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, then do tell us quickly about working with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, because Mr. and Mr. Mrs. Bridge. That's my a favorite film you're movie. Fun in That's my favorite movie I've ever yep. been in. And that, and that, um, Oh, particularly the long scene with with Joanne is the happiest I've ever been acting on a film set. That's nice. Yeah, they were good to you. Yeah, Paul, yeah. I, he wasn't really in the scenes I was in. Right, but, but he he came by. You know, it was out in Kansas City because he was, uh, you know, he was in scenes before. And I, that afternoon with with Joanne and and Jim Ivory, that's the happiest I've ever been on a film set in right. terms of acting. You know. This and is good. You really like Paul Newman. Oh, who didn't? <laughs> I mean, Paul Newman was. Who haven't you worked with? In addition to, we love character actors. We love you. You've named your name has come up on this show many times. Well, that's good. before we got you. Well, I'll send you the Jonathan Lynn episode where we're waxing poetic about you. Oh. But you've also worked with Philip Bosco, Harris Eulen, Rita Moreno, George Hearn, Len Carreyu, Fred Gwynn, Charles Durning. These are the best character actors. Yeah. Some of these people that you've gotten to. To work with, we have great respect for the character. Lack of a better term, the character actor. Well, if you're you're kind of lucky if you're a character actor. How do you mean that? Well, uh, it doesn't depend on youth. Mm-hmm. And this, and there are very talented people who are young, very talented. And they're attractive, and they have that magnetism, and they're terrific actors. And the industry keeps clocking them about when are they going to get a little bit older? 
Right. And sometimes they survive that, like Ethan. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a, an example of a real survivor of that. But uh, sometimes they're just brutal to those people. You know, they're the old, one of those old religions, they would, they, in South America, they would select each year the most beautiful young man and woman. And for a year, those people would be lavishly treated and guests of honor everywhere. And at the end of the year, they would take them up to the top of a hill and cut their hearts out. That's one definition of Hollywood. <laughs> That's an extreme example. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. But a character actor can, can age Character actors, they, they, they're hoping your age going to age. Yeah. And, and if a yeah. movie bombs, yeah. you're not blaming the character actors. Well, occasionally they are. <laughs> but but uh, you have to be careful. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, we uh, love the old character actors. We talk about Lionel Barrymore. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. Great Martin stuff. Balsam. Ma- Martin oh, Balsam yeah. and Ed Begley Sr. Yeah, and, totally, and, and all totally. of these, Beulah Bondi and all of these, Edward Arnold, all of these people that the, and yes. the skeleton nags. Yeah. Yes. Who, who were, and Butterfly McQueen. Butterfly oh, McQueen. Excellent. Thomas yeah. Mitchell. I mean, yeah, you could you could totally. you could go you on could, forever. Yeah, yeah, right. Tell tell us tell us what's coming up. You're in Choir Boys now. It, it's in the singular Choir Boy. Well, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, I apologize. Choir Boy. Yeah. 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 I'm in it now. You pay. You play Mr. Pendleton. Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> I think he named it after me. Okay. I've never directly asked Terrell whether he named it. <laughs> okay. I sort of wish he hadn't done that. Yeah. People do say to me on the sidewalk, well, I guess you're just playing yourself, so that's easy. <laughs> well, give, give us a plug. Where can people come and see the, the At see the, the show? Friedman Theater, Manhattan Theater Club. Samuel Friedman Theater. The Broadway space of Manhattan Theater Club. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be on for a while yet. And this cabaret that you're doing, can we come? Can Gilbert and I come and see yeah, you sing? Yeah, the way to get, to find out about that, it's in in a cabaret space called Pangea, P A N G E A. I'm writing it down. on Lower Second Avenue between 11th and 12th Street, 178 and, Second Avenue. And now, as Frank will tell you, whenever we're wrapping up a show, is when I come up with another question. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah. the, man, the man has to teach. You you said, and I thought this this was. Brilliant. Um, you said there are no rules in the business. None. It's the Wild West. I mean, you you can be hanged for no reason. <laughs> you can be uh, elevated for no reason. I it, mean, I've given you several examples of it. it. It's funny. If my it, picture hadn't been in the paper the day that Mike decided he couldn't offer it to Dustin anymore, Little Foxes, I would not have been in that show and probably not in Catch-22. And it's now, funny. Incredible. Yeah. Everybody, How can you take seriously any of you know your career when it hinges on things like that? Everybody in the business, agents, managers, yeah. producers, all pretend mm-hmm. that they've got it figured out. And nobody does. Well, if you get one half of a drink in them, they'll tell you. And <laughs> and and they and it, it's like. And then uh, turning it around <coughs> for seven years, I didn't get even a Broadway. I wasn't allowed to audition for a Broadway show because of some bad reviews at Brooklyn Academy of Music. So it's it's all that. So. That's when you decide, I'm just going to go where the work is. 
Good for you. That's the what's the only decision you can. Well, make? it's inspiring, and you said you took you took money to be in films so that you could have a couple of bucks so that you could go do a showcase, I pl- which yeah, is where I your pl- love is. We I played Hamlet in a showcase once in a church loft, and we rehearsed it for a year. And and at the end of that year, each of us in the play got a check for eighty dollars for the year's work. So oh. yeah, you've got to find some it's other for the work. Art. You're an art. You're a true artist, Austin. And, well, and, but it's it's not that noble. It's like <laughs> it's like I can't get work under this group. Wants me to play Hamlet. Sure, go do I'm it. Almost fifty. Right. Right. And, and I. You know, and the clock is. And, t- and yeah, sure. Quickly, what do you remember about F- Philip Seymour Hoffman? Oh, it's a very nice story in the documentary about how. Oh, he well, that audition he did. I've I've seen maybe two auditions that good in my life, and I've seen a lot of really good auditions. But he shambled in at four in the afternoon for the non-equity company in Williamsburg. <coughs> I was alone in the room because the person who was going to do it with me had the flu. And you, you know, you see a lot of talented people in shambles. This wreck of a person, <laughs> and he looked like the way Phil looked. And I thought, oh, I hope his work is half as interesting as the way he looks. As George Morfogan, my friend, said, he's a Bruegel painting. <sighs> he's like one of those peasants in those Bruegel paintings. And well, he was twice as interesting as the way he looked. Alna, he did that final speech from the Glass Menagerie, which is magnificent. Yeah. But I've heard it 400 times. I thought, oh, he's not going to do that. And it was like he was making it up as he went along. It was like the words were just occurring to him. Well, he's in the documentary, and he says he's indebted to you. He said that he was feeling nothing but fear and mm-hmm. that you took all the fear out of the room. You made him comfortable. That was you- lovely. But, you know, and for... Uh, for a few years after he really began to hit it big, um, um, people would say, uh, he would say, and people would say, Phil credits you with with the rise of his career. I'd say, anyone who was in that room and would pass on him simply it. doesn't belong in the industry. Right. It wasn't like I found the talent hidden in the inexperienced young. It was all there. Everything that we then saw for many years was evident you you could not take anyone seriously who would turn him down wow so i i mean i i would love to say that boy would have been nowhere without me but but it's just it's it's ludicrous all he needed to do was walk in a room well we'll we'll, we'll urge people again to see the documentary one uh and that scene that is that scene where philip seymour hoffman which is very touching and meryl streep and all these people saying and natalie portman all these things saying great things about you 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 i say great things about you obviously (laughs) loved the film is called a starring austin pendleton the directors are david holmes and gene gallerano and it's coming out i'll I'll tell you something i i think meryl streep is talented <laughs> I think she's going to make it. Yeah, yeah. These, these are, yeah. These, uh, I'm full of original. Let me quickly thank Adam Shartoff too, okay. who did a nice podcast with you at Film Wax Radio, and yes, he he, he helped with the research of this, and he got me he got me a copy of the yeah. film, which which Gilbert and yes, I loved. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And thank you to so, Alex Brazell and Showbriz Studios, where we are recording this one. Yeah. So uh, we'll do a quick wrap. Uh, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried. I thought Jim- you were Michael Lerner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you promised that you were you Michael promised. Lerner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm some other Jew character actor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
And this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And Austin Pendleton has to go teach his acting class, and he also has to tell me about what stars were scumbags. <laughs> He's not going to tell you. <laughs> All right, if you take me out and when I get me blind drunk, you're on. And and I I call in somebody to make sure you haven't hidden a, a wire inside you. You're on. Then you might hear something. Okay. We'll make that happen. Yeah, and we right. turn the mics off. Austin's going to sing Miracle of Miracles. Oh, for us. great. <laughs> Austin in your Pendleton. dream. Yeah, right. Austin, we always say we scratch, we just scratch the surface, but will you come back and play with us some other time? Please. There's so much we didn't get to. Please. My God, what a career. And he came yeah. out on the coldest day of the year. A horrible. It's six yeah. degrees. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are not through yet. And before you skidoo, we'd like to introduce our cast and crew. We are not through yet, and before you skidoo, we'd like to introduce our cast and crew. Jackie Gleason was Tony Banks, Carol Channing Flo, Frankie Avalon, Angie, Fred Clark, a tower guard, Michael Constantine Leach, Frank Gorshin, the man, John Philip Law, Stash, Peter Lawford, the senator, Burgess Meredith, the warden, George Raff, the skipper, Cesar Romero as head chief, Mickey Rooney, Blue Chips Packard, and Groucho Mars played God in the Otto Preminger films, skidoodly do do do. With Arnold Stang as Harry, Dora Miranda as the mayor, Phil Arnold as her husband, Slim Pickens as a switchboard operator, Robert Donner as another switchboard operator. Richard Keel as Beanie, Tom Law as Geronimo, Jake Rosenstein as Eggs Benedict, Benedict, Stacy King as the Amazon, and Benny Roker as a prison guard, Roman Gabriel as a prison guard, and Nilsson as a tower guard, and Stone Country as themselves, and the Orange County Ramblers play the Green Bay Packers. And introducing Austin Pendleton as Fred, Alexandra Hay as Darlene, and Luna as God's mistress. Well, you know what I mean. Music and lyrics by Nilsson, who also played a tower guard, arranged and conducted by George Tipton, a very good friend. Choreography, Tom Hansen. Costumes, Rudy Gernrich. Photographed in Panavision and Technicolor, director of photography, Leon Shamroy, ASC. Sound, Glenn Anderson, Franklin Milton, and Lloyd Hanks. Thanks. Camera operators, Irving Rosenberg and Dewey Wrigley. Chief electrician, Fred Hall. Key grip, Leo McCrary. Transportation, George Cole. Editor, George Rose. Assistant editor, Dean Hall. Music editor, Fred Fryer. Sound effects editor, Don Higgins. Negative cutter, Connie Rose. And script supervisor, Kathleen Pagan. <laughs> oh, boy. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. Paul Rayburn.